said, I'm tired of wounded, and my soul needs rest, but I hear you calling, I see you stretching out your hands, Jesus let me walk upon the thank our brothers and sisters for blessing us this morning and with music and just encouraged by that and I'm just going to ask that you would join me as we pray so much to be thankful for so much to be grateful for as we prepare our hearts to look into God's word and see what he has to say for us and to us father you are a great and awesome God and I am just blessed this morning to be here in your presence and to see uh, those of our regular church family and uh, there are people who are here or guests we're just grateful for their presence and those who may be joining us online maybe for the first time and those who are part of our family who are joining us online we're grateful for each and every one and pray that you would continue to do your work in us and through us and I ask that as we turn our attention to your word specifically to read it to study it to hear it we pray that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us today that we might be changed and transformed some introduced into a relationship with the Lord Jesus for the very first time and others who have known you that we might be growing and maturing and shining the light of Christ for the glory of God for we pray this in Christ's precious name amen there is a sense of unsettledness that I have had and a kind of an unnerving and a kind of a sense of my own frailty in the midst of all of the COVID, in the midst of all of the social unrest, in the midst of all of the economic uncertainty that I don't know, just this is the way my mind works, but it, it, it sent me to a little video uh, something that triggered in my mind a cartoon character and his, his request. And so I'm going to ask you to watch this video and I'll try to explain how this has any connection to God's word in a moment. Super suit? What? Where is my super suit? He's a superhero, but he can't do anything because he realizes that what's happening and that he needs to save the world, but he can't save the world unless he has on this really special suit. And as I look at what's going on in the world, especially as we as a church body have been marching through the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus gives to us in Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, it becomes readily apparent to those of us that we need a super suit because the request that God gives of us, the requirement of 
the righteousness of the kingdom that, to which Jesus calls us is a monumental and humanly impossible task. We can't do it in ourselves. There's just no way. And as we hear what Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be uh, filled, shall be, shall be filled. And then he goes on and on and on, and he talks about how we're supposed to be kind to those who are being knuckleheads to us, how we're supposed to not look upon a woman with lust in our heart, how we're supposed to be honest, how we're supposed to love and pray for our enemies, how we're supposed to practice the spiritual disciplines in private with sincerity, how we're supposed to Seek first the kingdom of God, not store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, how we're supposed to not judge hypocritically, and we go, okay, well, I pretty much failed that test. I mean, just start checking the boxes. He exposes our weakness. He exposes our wickedness. He unravels us right in our very own presence. Okay, God, I guess I thought I was a Christian, and now I'm not so sure. Because I realize I need my super suit. I need God's grace. I need God's goodness. I need God's great power working in me in order to do what Jesus calls me to. We all do. If we're his children, we need God's grace to work in us, to accomplish his purposes for us. It's our powerlessness to practice the righteousness of the kingdom that coupled with our Heavenly Father's graciousness in providing us with all that we need to do it that prompted Jesus to write the words of Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. These are precious promises. They're based on the authority of God's word himself. And they're based on his authority and the word of God to give great comfort to us. They're supposed to comfort us. Yeah, in a general way. Because most of us will, will recognize these words if we have been around the Bible at all and heard the scriptures at all. We'll recognize them and we'll go, yeah, that's really good. I, I like those words. Because they comfort us in a general sense when we're faced with all of the nonsense around us and the tr difficulties, the pandemic, social upheaval. People acting like crazy people. And we, we go, whoa, I need this comfort. I need this encouragement. But these words are particularly, and I want you to get this if you don't get anything else, these words are particularly intended to encourage and inspire God's people. God's people, God's children, with the hope that there is help for you and I to live out the righteousness of the kingdom right here right now. And so, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand up. Okay, just stand up, please. If you have your Bible or if you have your phone, your device, you can turn it to Matthew chapter 7. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 7. And I'm going to uh, take us down through verse 12. Okay, and here's what it says. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For to him who asks, 
receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open to you. Well, who is the man among you when his son asks him for a loaf? Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our Father, our Heavenly Father, give good gifts to those who ask Him? Therefore, He says in verse 12, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. You may be seated. Jesus, in this text, I believe, lays out for us, gives us three tactics that to, to inspire us to pray. And we see the first one in verses 7 through 8. It's our inspiration for prayer comes from the admonition of our Savior. And there's three ways this admonition motivates us to pray. First of all, through the content of the command for us to pray. The content. Notice there are three imperatives, three commands there. Ask, seek, and knock. Grammatically, they are conveying the idea of continuous action. So he could be, he could translate and say, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Persistence. That's what he's, that's what he's advocating for us there. Persistence in prayer. Jesus, uh, actually a couple places in Luke, in Luke chapter 11... Some of you know the story in Luke chapter 11. It starts with verses, uh, verses 8 and 9. I think we have, a, we have a slide of that, Luke chapter 11, 8 and 9. If we don't, that's fine. So just write it down, Luke chapter 11, 8 and 9. Because in this story, there's a guy, and he gets his family. In the, in the Middle East, they used to all sleep, you know, like probably in the same bed uh, or on the same mat on the floor, okay? So the guy has his family all tucked into bed. At midnight, and a stranger comes. Because he's had guests arrive. And in that culture, if you have guests arrive, you do everything you can to accommodate your guests. And the guy was out of bread. So he went to his neighbor. Got some bread? No, I'm in bed. Leave me alone. And the text goes on to say, because he's his neighbor, the guy won't get out of bed. But because he kept... Because he kept knocking... The neighbor got out of bed and gave him the bread. In the same way, our Heavenly Father will hear our prayers. Luke chapter 18, you can see the same thing there. Persistence in prayer is what Jesus is advocating. Our youngest daughter, bless her heart, uh, she, she loves pets. She loves animals. And all growing up, she would persistently ask, Daddy, can we get a pet? Daddy, can we get a dog? Daddy, can we get a dog? Can we get a dog? Daddy, can we get a dog? She'd always want a pet or a cat or whatever. And it was like, she was persistent in asking for a pet. So the idea here is to persist in prayer. Then semantic, grammatically, then the meaning of this word. What do you ask, seek? Why would you ask, seek, and knock? Because you have a need. 
Some of you know this, some of you don't, but when our family made the transition down to Urbandale from northwest Iowa about almost three years ago now, we were privileged to stay with Dwayne and Karen McFadden, who are members of our church, and Dwayne, bless his heart, is, has, is now with the Lord, but uh, they, they kept us. And when we first arrived and stayed in their basement, they said to us, if you need anything, don't, don't hesitate to ask. If you don't ask, if, just look around and see if you can find it. Seek for it. And if you don't ask and you don't seek, then hey, just knock on our door and we'll see if we can get it for you. They modeled to us the, the gracious, loving care of, of our Heavenly Father because they have the Spirit of Christ within them and they incarnated it to us. They portrayed the grace of God to us. We're to be persistent in coming to our Heavenly Father because we recognize our need. Our family was recently on vacation, and when we arrived at the place we were going on our vacation, it was kind of a, not a real, real long trip, but kind of a long trip. And I don't know about you, but my family, anyhow, when we first arrive at the place we're supposed to be after a long trip, there are needs. And, uh, you know, that's when you find out how human you are. Uh, because we get into to the place, it's like, where's the restroom? You know, is there anything to eat? You know, they start asking for stuff because we have a need. This request, this ask, seek, knock, comes as a result of need, a realization of our need. Our need motivates us to ask, but we must be aware of our need. I wonder this morning, are you conscious, consciously aware of your shortfalls in measuring up to the demands and commands of the Sermon on the Mount? Do we see our need? Or do we just kind of read through the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those uh, the gentle, blessed are the, uh, those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who are merciful, blessed are those who are peacemakers, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's nice, I'm supposed to seek first the kingdom of God, I know that I'm not supposed to hate my neighbor, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, I know I'm supposed to uh, pray in private and give in private, and I'm supposed to fast in private, and I know blah, 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 blah. Nice sermon, Jesus. But do I really understand that in my heart I'm very proud? And I'm really kind of obnoxious. And that I really don't mourn over the sin of other people. I don't even mourn over my own sin. I don't really am not very pure in heart. And I sometimes call people fools when they're not fools, when I'm the fool. I'm not kind sometimes to those who are unkind to me that sometimes I want to pray so people will see me I want to serve Jesus so people will see me and think I'm really a neat guy that I'm not always laying up for myself treasures in heaven but more obsessed with treasures on earth that I do judge unjustly secondly Jesus says there are the consequences of the prayers. If you notice the prayers, ask, what's it say then? You shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. 
Knock and it will be opened unto you. The command is accompanied by the precious promise that our requests will be granted. One of the most comforting promises in Scripture, this section, that, that God will answer our prayer. I mean, what a consolation to know that when the demands of the Sermon of the Mount hit me in the face and I realize that I can't do this, the Lord just says, just ask for help. Just ask for help. Oh, when I realize that I'm face to face with my frailty, my depravity, my inability to do all that God calls me to here in the text. It's like you have help. When I see that my self-righteousness condemns, doesn't love my enemies. When I see that my, I'm self-absorbed so that the intent of the law isn't really my heart. It's the letter of the law. I didn't break that one. And I don't abide by the spirit of the law. When I'm self, then I'm self-seeking in my displays of spiritual disciplines because I want to be noticed by men. When I am self-centered in my pursuit of worldly things and all those things when I'm not living up to it, then I can go to God in prayer. In our strength, we are helpless and hopeless. But our Father is gracious and His power is limitless. All the resources needed to accomplish spiritual transformation are available. One of the amazing things to me as I read through the scripture is that God always enables what he requires. He always enables it. He always empowers us to do what he's called us to do. And we try to do it in ourselves until we realize we can't do it in ourselves, that we need his strength. That's why we ask, seek, and knock. It's because we can't do it in ourselves. In his goodness and power, he has given us the resources for spiritual transformation, and they're at our disposal. All we need to do is ask. I think about Solomon. You know, he said, We, 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 we believe in prayer, we should pray. What should we ask for? In 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, was given this opportunity. And you can see it on the screen. And Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a a dream at night. And God said, ask what you will give me. You're going, whoa, that'd be cool. You know, it's kind of like some of you have seen the movie Aladdin, you know. And he rubs the lamp and out comes the genie and he says, what do you want? You know. And then there are some provisos, addendums, and quid pro quos. That's to quote, uh, you know, the genie. Uh, you know, you can't get three more wishes, blah, 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 blah. But what would we ask God for? Solomon, here's the answer. So Solomon says, so give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. To dream, uh, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon asked for wisdom. We can ask for anything. And, and God, you know, I told you my wife asked for hangers one time, you know. See, we didn't have any, enough hangers. And so my wife said, Lord, we didn't, you know, we weren't, didn't have resources. Just, God, would you provide some hangers? And God gave us hangers. You ever pray for a parking spot? You know, you go to the store and it's like, it's packed. Lord, I just pray there'd be a spot, you know, not a half a mile away. We can ask for anything. He's our Father. He loves us. But there are some things that are probably a little better to ask for, like wisdom. You know, it's 
to Solomon. He asks for wisdom. You see, the primary force of this command and promise here is that we ask for and experience God's work in spiritual transformation. That God would bring about His transforming power working in us so that we are incarnating the kingdom righteousness without which we shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he's focusing in on here. Yeah, he wants us to shun evil and to practice personal purity and to live with integrity and to store up treasures first and avoid judgmentalism, blah, on and on and on. And I, I just read through this text of Matthew chapters 5 through 7 and I go, that's a tall order, Lord Jesus. I mean, especially in these days when you feel like, you know, some people are feeling like they have more enemies than they ever used to have. You're supposed to love your enemies and pray for them. You're supposed to deal kindly with the people who don't treat me kindly. I'm supposed to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven when the stock market crashes. You get freaked out. Notice, finally, the, the cause for the command in verse 8. Verse 8 is actually just a repeat of verse 7. To reemphasize. It's, it's the promise of verse 7 made more sure. And the readiness of the father to care for his children is stressed. Now, here's the big deal, and some of you are maybe ahead of me on this. This is not a universal promise for whatever you want, you ask God and he gives it to you. This is not, as some people would say, the name it and claim it verse, although I'm sure this verse, these verses have been used by people to say that. What Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, is what he has also said. And you can write these verses down if you keep notes or you take notes. But in, in, in John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. In John chapter 15, verses 7 and 16. In John chapter 16, verse 23 and following. And First John chapter 4, verses 5, verses 14 and 15. Which I think we have that. We'll try to show that one on, on, on the screen. Which Jesus said to us in First John, John. He says, And by this we know that if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, in whatever we ask, that he'll grant us that request. See, what Jesus is telling us here is this is not a name it and claim it, but the Heavenly Father is gracious towards his beloved children. You read those texts and you see it's if we do according to the will, if we ask according to the will of God, if we are obedient, if we're servant, if we're abiding in Christ, whatever we ask, he'll give it to us. That's not whatever I want, I get. It's whatever I want that's according to his will that I ask for, he gives to me. Which makes sense. He'll give what is good to those who ask. In Psalm 34, verses 8 through 10, uh, the psalmist said this, oh, hate and, oh, oh, taste and see, he says, that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of anything they want. No. Shall not be in want of any good thing. 
If we seek the Lord, he'll give us what's good for us. That's the the promise of the text. You know, here's the problem. When, When people teach that the Bible says that you can get whatever you want, all you have to do is ask God. That God is somehow this cosmic vending machine, you know, up in the sky somewhere. And if you just put in the prayer, pull the chain, out comes the request. That's very, very detrimental. It's unbiblical. But it's very detrimental because what it does is it it causes us to doubt God's goodness because he will not always give us what we want. So then we think, well, he's not good because he didn't give me what we want. Or we doubt God's power because, well, he could give it to me, we think, irrationally, unbiblically. But he doesn't give it to me, so he, he, he really can't give it to me. Or it may lead us to think that we don't have enough faith. That the depth of our faith or the, the amount of our faith is not enough to get what we want. So we just have to keep praying harder. That the problem's with us. All that stuff is not, I mean, it can be true that we don't have enough faith, but that, that's not the main point. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Just write it down if you would like in verses 7 through 10. See, Paul had this problem, physical problem. A thorn in the flesh, he called it. And he prayed three times. That God would remove the thorn in the flesh. This text is an example of the fact that God doesn't always give us what we request. Now, who was the greatest missionary ever? The Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary ever, asked God three times to take away some thorn in the flesh. And you know what God's answer to him was? You know, you know the answer. Nope, not going to do it. But he said it with these words, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, sometimes we ask God, and he says, oh, just wait a while. Sometimes we ask God, and he says, nope, not going to do that. Because it's not what's good for me. It's not the best for me. You have to say, wait. So we see that the the inspiration for prayer comes from this command that God gives us, from the Lord. Then we see, secondly, our inspiration for prayer comes from the compassion of our Father. There's two steps taken in in verses 9 through 11 that Jesus uses to convince us of God's compassion to motivate us to pray. First, there's this comparison. There are two rhetorical questions. You see, one in verse 9 and one in verse 10. Now, a rhetorical question is a question that doesn't, you don't really see the answer in the text, but you're supposed to know what the answer is. You know, intuitively, we know what the answer is. So look at verse 9. They set the stage for a comparison between earthly fathers and our heavenly father. Okay, So here's the question. If you read verse 9, he says, Or what man is there among you if his son asks him for a loaf, that is a piece of some bread, will give him a rock? He wants something to eat. Is his dad going to give him a rock? What would the answer be? What answer would you expect to give? Absolutely not. No man. There's, there's none. There's none. None. That's the answer. None. What man? None. No one. No man would do that. That wouldn't be like it. A normal father won't callously deny his son sustenance by giving them a stone. When I was a young boy, uh, we had some friends of our family and my, our family friends we would travel to their place, and they would grill out. That means they'd cook stuff on the grill, you know, hook up a fire, and we'd cook stuff on the grill. And the adults would get steak 
And the children would get hot dogs and hamburgers, you know, tube steak. And so one time, my, my, my dad said, what, what, what would you like to eat? And I said, I want steak. I mean, I saw what was going on. I said, I want one of those. No, not happening. I asked, but my dad didn't give me a stone because I asked for the bread. No, he gave me something to eat. And so no father would do that. Then second, the second rhetorical question in verse 7 is, or if he shall ask for a fish, will he give him a snake? See, the earthly father is not so callous as to deny his son sustenance. He's not so cruel as to offer his son something that would cause him harm. A snake. He's not going to give him a snake. No. Earthly fathers don't do that. Now, I, I, I would admit, when I was a child, some of you won't understand this. Some of you will. Uh, my dad asked my mother to make liver and onions. Now, I thought we were getting a snake. Okay, I thought it was like the worst thing you could eat. It was, it's, a, it's, a, it's a part of the, uh, of the animal that's uh, used to filter out the bad stuff. So just tell me how good that is for your body, you know. The liver is supposed to filter out all of the bad stuff out of your blood, but you're going to eat it. Now, some people like liver. My dad, fortunately for him, he loved it. It was a delicacy for him, so he was only sharing with us the delicacy. Thanks, Dad. But it wasn't a snake. So the point is that earthly fathers will, will give what's good. And he comes to the conclusion. That they're, 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 they're not giving us bad stuff. They're giving us good stuff. And so you see the conclusion in verse 11. If you then being evil. And that's the kicker there, right? That's where the contrast comes in. The earthly fathers are evil now what does he mean by that you being evil in that they're, they have a corrupt fallen nature they're sinners if evil fathers know how to give good gifts to their children wow good gifts we're not talking about grandiose stuff we're not talking about sweets we're talking about sustenance we're not talking about you know luxuries we're talking about necessities if if earthly fathers who are evil know how to give that stuff then how much more he says will your your father in heaven I have never denied my children food. But I can tell you, I have three children. Every one of them re refused or I, I denied every one of them a cell phone as soon as they thought they needed it. In other words, my children at an early age thought they needed a cell phone. And none of them got it as early as they thought they needed it. So I was denying them not sustenance, but some of the other substance in this world. Verse 11b, if you being evil, verse, uh, first part of it, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? That's the point. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? Do we see our Heavenly Father as a good Father? Now, I know for some of you, it's like that's a totally different category. You never thought in that category before. You can't even imagine that it could be true. 
But earthly fathers are evil. I mean, we're fallen sinful people, but the heavenly father is not. He, he's how much more? Emphasizing the superiority of God's generosity, his graciousness, and his goodness. Now notice the exclusivity here. This promise, this call to prayer and promise is not for everyone. Your heavenly father restricts the prayer and the promise to those who are his children. Who are his children? And Jesus said, or John said in John chapter 1 verse 12, but as many as received him, that is received Jesus, to them gave he the right to become the children of God. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 says this, for you're all sons of God, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. So I ask you this morning, are you a child of God? Have you admitted that, yeah, in your own heart and soul, you are actually kind of rebellious against God? That you kind of walk in your own way, doing your own thing. Thank you very much, God. I don't need your help right now. That you are a sinful person and you deserve the wrath, the judgment of God on your soul. And then you believe that Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the debt that you owe. But as many, uh, but it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then that you would confess. You admit, you believe, and you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You confess that Jesus' death on the cross paid the debt that I owe. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross. That he might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. Believe that? Accept that? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. You will be delivered from the punishment of sin. You'll be one of God's children. And these promises will be yours to claim. That's the point. And he says you'll give what is good. Now, there you go. How do you define what's good? Parents and children have a different understanding of that word. What mom and dad think is good is not necessarily what children think is good. But our Heavenly Father has a perfect understanding of what good is. Good is what's good for us. When I was a young boy, I thought that a, a, a motorbike, you know, that's what I needed. That would be good. You know, my dad needed to get me a motorbike. You know, not a, not a big motorcycle just a mini bike you know just a little one you know 70 cc honda you know that'd be good enough to pop some wheelies and to jump over some ditches and you know have some fun somehow my dad didn't think that was good and so he said no and i never got a mini bike still don't i never owned a motorcycle in my life even when i got old enough that i could probably buy one i didn't now i'm not saying that if you have one that's wrong i'm just saying no, that was my dad's no. So what is good? What is good is what enriches my relationship with God. What enlarges my life in Christ. What empowers me to serve the Savior. That's what's good. That's what God gives. Now, sometimes that includes... Uh, Better health, sometimes that includes healing from a disease, sometimes that includes wisdom in relationships, how to love and give and serve and care. Sometimes it means material possessions are provided, that's all interrelated sometimes, but the main focus is my walk with God and my service for Him. 
And he'll give me everything I need for that. Funny thing is, though, sometimes I just don't see that that's what it's good for. And neither do you. But God will give us what, what, what enhances and goes. In, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says that our Heavenly Father has given us all that is necessary for life and godliness. We ask God to produce kingdom character in us. When you ask, seek, knock, that's the challenge. Ask Him to produce the kingdom character. Oh, Lord, help me to be poor in spirit. God, teach me to be pure in heart. God, help me to understand what it is and incarnate gentleness in my life. I want to mourn for my sin and the sins of those people because they don't know Jesus. How would they act any differently? God, help me in my heart to be a peacemaker. God, teach me to seek first the kingdom of God, to trust you and not in myself. Teach me to... Lay up for myself treasures in heaven, not on earth. That's what we pray for. And God will give us what we need, but it's persistence. Because, you know, I don't know about you. I mean, yesterday I'm walking around. I've been thinking about this, meditating on this. God, I want to love you more and, and better. And then, I, you know, I said something. We walked up to a restaurant. And uh, we walked in because we were hiking. And we went through the drive-thru. You know, you like that? Walked through the drive-thru. That's a new concept here in America. Because the main place was closed, we couldn't get in. Actually, we all didn't do this. One member of our family was doing this. And got up and ordered the food, and they wouldn't serve them. It's not safe to go through the drive-thru on foot. You're standing there ordering. You've already been sandwiched in by cars. You know, and I said something stupid, which was insensitive and, and, you know, wasn't right. But again, I constantly, we constantly need this to work in our hearts. Great incentive to pray, so why would we delay? See, it is the command that Jesus gives us. It is the compassion of our Father. And finally, we get to the verse 12, and I believe that connects to all of it, our inspiration for prayer considers the instruction of our Father. You know this verse. Therefore, however you want men to treat you, treat them likewise. It's the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But how does it connect here? What is the connection? Well, if you flipped back to chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says that he didn't come to abolish the law, but what? Fulfill the law. Then in verse 20, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not inherit the kingdom. He came to fulfill the law. Then you see what it says at the end of verse 12. In chapter 7, it says, this is the law and the prophets. So it's a bookend. Chapter 5, verse 17. Chapter 7, verse 12. He bookends it. And when he says, this is the law and the prophets, what's he saying? He's rephrasing the second greatest commandment. When he says, you know, whatever you, however you want people to treat, you treat them. What's the second greatest commandment? Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. She'll love your neighbor as yourself. And we find out from Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, that this is this 
love your neighbor as yourself, along with love God with all your heart, is a summation of the law. This is the foundation of the law. And now here, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, that this is the law. What is the law? That I treat you the way I want you to treat me. And notice Jesus started with me. You. Read the verse. Don't look at me. Look at the verse. It says, Therefore, however you want people to treat you, start with ourself, okay? How do I want to be treated? Well, I'd like to be treated with respect. I'd like you to tell me the truth. I'd like you to appreciate things that I do. I would appreciate kindness, kind of like, honesty, you know. So do that with other people. That's what he says. How do I want to be treated? Do it. Treat other people that way. Start with myself, start with what I want, and give that to others. Sounds pretty simple, but it's not, because we're selfish. I don't want to treat you the way I want you to treat me. I just want you to treat me nice. Because in my human fallenness, life revolves around us. Jesus says, no. You see, at the root of every sinful behavior, every injustice and every violation of God's law, I just read this week, I I didn't read it, I heard about horrified. The selling of fetal body parts. We hear a lot about, you know, partiality. We've been face to face with dishonesty and corruption in high places. All of that stuff. We've seen destruction of people's private property and looting and we say, whoa, this isn't right. No, it isn't. You know what the cause is? The sinful heart of man seeking self. That's, That's at the root of all of it. Conversion. Becoming a child of God. So that we can pray and seek continually to rely upon God is the only answer to what ails this world. It's the only solution. is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The living Christ in us that empowers me to treat other people better than they treat me because I'm treating them the way I want them to treat me, not necessarily the way they are treating me. I can't do that on my own. In fact, I won't do that on my own. But by the power of Christ, I have a chance to live out the kingdom righteousness that he calls me to, and so do you. And that's exciting to me. I have a super suit. And I can put that super suit on. It's the power of the risen Christ living in me and living in you. To flesh out what God... You see, the golden rule is something Jesus called us to practice. Not just to say, oh, you know, that's it. We need to live by the golden rule. To praise. No, practice it. Don't just praise it. And if you're here this morning and you're listening online and you don't have a relationship with God because you've never surrendered your life to Him, you've never turned from your own sin and trusted in Christ alone for your salvation to pay the price that you deserve to pay, you cannot, you will not, you won't even desire to love your neighbor 
as yourself. You won't even desire it. I mean, think about it. I just read a, a, a Supreme Court case, right? Uh, so in uh, New York State, under COVID restrictions, churches couldn't meet. Can't have religious services. Not at all. But the abortion clinics were moving on without a, a stop, right? No problem there. That's an essential service. But having people worshiping God, that's not an essential service. The Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional. But I'm telling you, if the tables were turned and you couldn't have had the abortion services, but you could only have church services, people would have been up in arms. Why? Because we don't, they don't want to treat other people the way they have been treated. You know, they, we, they want to treat other people differently than the way they want to be treated. That's human nature. But God gives us. People were evil. We need to turn from our sin and trust in Christ and surrender to Him. Only living in obedience to Him will any of this mess that we call this world be better. And it starts with us. God calls us to do it, to live it out. Believers, I'm, I'm, I'm only free to treat others rightly when I see God supreme and myself in need of His mercy. And as a recipient of His mercy, as a recipient of God's love, only then can His love be the power in me to love other people the way that God calls me to. I have to see people not as the enemy, as victims of the enemy, and then seek to love them as God called me to. You know, some of you are familiar with, there's a Boy Scout camp out here northwest by Madrid called Camp Matigua. When I was a young boy, I was in Boy Scouts, okay? So I spent a week at Camp Matigua on a Boy Scout camp. And in the middle of the week, my folks, my mom and dad came to visit. Big mistake. Uh, because, uh, you know, at that time I was about a nine or ten-year-old boy. I just wanted to go home. I mean, I had itchy things all over my body. I had sore. I didn't sleep well. I didn't, couldn't get my fire started in the wet, with wet wood, all this kind of stuff. It was bad. Walking through stinger nettles. And so my mom and dad came. And I want you to know that, that uh, they visited. And my mom's cooking made me want to go home more because she brought some of her home cooking. And physically and emotionally, it was difficult to stay, but my parents' words of encouragement made it possible. Do you know what, folks? As we live this life, this Christian life, as we seek to reach the world for Christ, it is absolutely difficult. It's absolutely tough, but it's not impossible. See, Jesus makes it possible for you and me to incarnate kingdom righteousness through his power and his presence. And as we take a few moments this morning to reflect on what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, as we take this, you have these little cup things on your, your chairs, you know. Uh, be very careful. It's an exercise in mechanical engineering to open this up. Uh, the very, very, very top one will peel back and you'll get the little wafer. And then the, the next one will peel back and you'll get the juice if you're inclined that way. But here's the deal, folks. This memory, this commemoration reminds us of what Jesus did. His body broken and his blood shed so that we could live in Christ and so that the power of Christ could live in and through us and the world could be changed and people could be forgiven and they would have eternal life with God in heaven and be restored. 
so that we would be brought into his relationship with him. We could rely upon him and his presence and power would live in and through us. That's, oh, that's what I need in these days and I trust that's what you'll need. Alan and the praise team will come and they'll lead us as we sing the song together. I want you to meditate and confess your sins. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you're invited to take the elements at any time you feel appropriate for you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Lord, as we take this bread and this cup, I'm just thankful. I'm thankful, Father, that you love us enough to empower us to live out the life you've called us to. We pray in Jesus' name. You part the sea. You move the mountains with the words that you say. My song Yeah.